Well, there's nothing like trying to plan for a wintry day in Austin, Texas. So we're making an adjustment and we decided to cancel all our in-person worship in light of doing Facebook Live. So welcome. Welcome to January 10th. I'm looking out my back door and just seeing beautiful snowflakes. So I hope you find yourself like me with a roaring fire. Um, but this is also Epiphany Sunday. It's actually celebrated on January 6th, but this is the nearest Sunday to what we have as the 12th day of Christmas. And not only does it commemorate to us uh, the revelation of God uh, to the Gentiles in the persons of the Magi who traveled long and far, it also means that you can now formally and officially take down your Christmas decorations. So you got that going for you. Um, ours are down, but um, our spirits are high. Now, if you have ever come through the holidays hoping for more, if you've ever come to January wanting a reset, longing for a kind of sacred pause, or you looking for the kind of courage for the coming days, you're not alone. In fact, I can't think of a better way to start the new year than with an eye towards the revelation of God as we seek to work out our own salvation in increasing ways. Revelation, that's really what we're talking about. And so I would simply ask you the question, have you ever had a stunning, eye-opening revelation of something that seemed rather obvious? When we were first married, we were living in a condo. We each had a car and in our condominium complex, there was a reserve spot for one car. And then the other car was in a garage a little further away. Laurel parked in the reserve spot. I parked in the one a little further away. One day we made a decision that we were going to swap cars. And I can't even tell you the reasons why. I just know that we had made a decision to switch cars on that day. She drove a Volkswagen Jetta. And as I came out, for the morning to leave to work, Laurel had already left for work. Um, and so we decided that as we were gonna switch the cars, I noticed that the VW wasn't in the spot. And I thought, well, that's weird. She must've forgotten the plan. And so I walk around to the other spot and I go, huh, the other car is gone too. I literally audibly asked myself the question, I wonder why Laurel drove both cars today. It was in the moment of disbelief, but one of our cars had been stolen. And somehow in my brain, I couldn't comprehend the fact that Laurel could only drive one car and we had two cars and one had gone missing. We eventually got the car back. It had been sort of cleaned out. But the point is sometimes we have this moment of revelation of rather ordinary things. And when we talk about epiphany, we're talking about a revealing or an appearance specifically from God. It's a significant way that God expresses his care for all the world. In fact, I like to think of epiphany as like a divine aha moment. It's a subtle, but it's a significant revealing of something rather ordinary. And in this case, when we have the magi come and it's the revelation of Christ to 
all of the Gentiles. Think about this for a moment. When we talk about the Christmas story, we don't typically talk about ethnicity when we talk about the Magi, the wise men, and the shepherds. But the ethnicity is important. The angels revealed to the Jewish shepherds to come and see the Christ child. But the star that the wise men are following, are these people are Gentiles. And so this revelation is really important for the rest of us who are non-Jewish. And I would say it this way, Epiphany, the day we, the 12th day, the, the way we celebrate, is what we long for from Christmas. It's what we want from church. It's what we want from any Bible study or any kind of service or giving. See, we are a people seeking God, looking for guidance, for wisdom, for revelation, for help, for healing, deliverance, strength. This is what we find in the revelation of God. Now, I wanted to start a new series that's going to take us for a couple of months, but I'm simply calling it The Movement is On, what we mean when we talk about salvation. Salvation is the process of knowing Christ in increasing and personal ways. And I think that's really important for all of us to consider as we go through this new year. It's simply not enough for us to know about God. It's not enough to know um, <clears throat> of him. It's, it's not enough to have met him at an early age. This series is a chance to realize and understand the revelation of Christ in our daily lives. And so I want to talk about God's revelation, and I want to paint the picture for it in simply two ways. And I would encourage you, if you have your app to follow along, there's a section in the notes that you can jot down some notes. The passages of scripture are also in there. <clears throat> but I would simply start out by saying there is for all of us in our daily personal spiritual lives a critical need to seek and discover God's revelation. Now, salvation requires revelation like a car requires gasoline. Sometimes we find revelation without much effort. God meets us in some unexpected and pleasant way, but oftentimes revelation can also feel like an interruption, like a call to obedience, a call to turn, a call to commitment, and we just don't feel like doing that. Revelation can also feel sometimes like God is aloof and distant, and the answer isn't simply to sit idly by waiting for God to somehow do God's part. See, salvation invites us to seek and to serve and to give of ourselves in order that we might trust God more by faith, even when we don't see him, sense him, feel him. See, the nature of revelation, that is knowing God, is always progressive. It's active. It's never static. I can't find any concept of spiritual arrival in all of scripture. See, salvation is fresh and it's unfolding. It's not supposed to be stale and dry. At least it should be. And so salvation, I would call, is a growing, intimate relationship with God where we understand God's heart. See, growing in salvation is like growing in relationship. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. 
I've known my mom my whole life. Not a surprise. We've always enjoyed, I think, a really good relationship. But here's the thing. Just like with Christ, the nature of the relationship over time has grown. See, as a kid, I couldn't fathom the idea that my mom was somehow tired or needed a break from me. I mean, what's not to love, right? Because that's the way every kid thinks. I always assumed that my mom loved picking up after me or cooking or cleaning, mostly because my mom, to her credit, never complained about it. See, I didn't understand the need when I was sort of told about a bedtime or a curfew or making my bed simply because I was going to be sleeping in it again. But the older I got, and certainly after I became a parent, I related to her differently, maybe with a different level of respect, admiration, understanding, appreciation. See, the nature of my relationship changed. And we all come to Christ with sort of infant eyes, where we're the center of our own lives, like any young child is. We often don't comprehend the grief that we cause, the heartbreak that we cause, the consequences that we have to endure, or the caution that Christ might offer. And why a loving godparent would let bad things happen when there's so many other worse people around. See, your salvation is in Christ is the most important relationship that you have. And the way we nurture our salvation is through revelation. I want to look at a passage in Mark chapter 1. It's at the outset of Jesus's ministry, and Mark introduces us to John, John the Baptist, who's sitting in the wilderness and kind of acting as like a sideshow. And I want to read a couple of passages and make uh, read a, pa- a couple of verses and then draw out a couple of both questions and observations. And it says, and so John the Baptist, this is Mark chapter one, verse four, and John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this is what confuses me, verse five, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. So the first question I would ask is, how is John's preaching of repentance something compelling for the whole Judean countryside to want to come out to see. The city of Jerusalem has been emptied. If I was announcing that I was going to be preaching repentance, I don't see that as a strategy for drawing crowds. But he's talking about a kind of repentance that leads to the forgiveness of sins. And so what was the Jewish practice prior to John and Jesus for forgiveness? See, John's invitation was to a baptism of water. Now, we would call that ritual baptism, and it was nothing new for the Jewish hearers. According to Jewish faith, one would undergo immersion if there was any question of impurity. So the kind of ritual cleansing, baptism, if you will, was sort of normal and known. It wasn't that unique. Now, the Hebrew word for forgiveness, the word teshuva, implies a turning to God and others, thereby 
radically changing the direction and the focus of one's life. John was preaching a kind of redirection. And these were spiritually minded people. They didn't want to uphold an offense to God. And so what John does was he confronts them with the needs among them that they were failing to meet. In fact, if you read Matthew's account, John is much more explicit. Oh, the, the, the ax is at the root. Don't keep trusting in the fact that you're sons of Abraham or simply good Jewish people. There are needs among you that are going unmet. And so there was this kind of conviction, even though he was doing it in a very confrontational way. Verse six and seven says this, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, who's the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. So I asked the question, why bother to describe John's fashion and eating habits? Simply put, and we don't know fashion back 2000 years ago, but John stood out. He was an outlier. He wasn't trying to be hipster. He wasn't trying to be vintage. He wasn't trying to be forward thinking in his fashion statement. John's life was entirely and completely set apart. He wasn't trying to fit in with A, culture or B, the religious establishment. Simply John appeals to this whole different way, spiritual people to prepare their hearts, to make room and to turn to Christ. He wasn't interested in appearances. He wasn't interested in being well-fed. He was interested in a life surrendered and aligned with God. And then we get to verse eight. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John makes a critical distinction, but both are necessary, are important. Now, both are encouraged. Neither is required to be saved. But it's an important distinction that only Jesus could provide the Holy Spirit. I would say to every Christ follower, both should be pursued. Both should be desired. Water baptism is what we do, what I do personally, to publicly confirm or declare a desire to follow Christ as an outward sign of a personal conviction. In our tradition, we call this believer's baptism, which is different than infant baptism. We want, like in the following of John and, and Jesus, to be able to make a decision as adults as an expression of belief. Now, the baptism then of the Holy Spirit is something that we can only find um, in a life that we're called to live, but can't live on our own. We find that in the person of Christ. See, we've been invited to live a life that we can't live on our own, um, but this is what helps us change from the inside out. Otherwise, what we have is religion. Otherwise, what we have is behavior alteration or modification. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it starts with our desires, maybe with our attitudes, maybe with our prejudices. And so John is distinguishing the kind of baptism through water and repentance 
but it also is a second work that leads to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot there, but let's just keep going from there. Then he gets to this point that I call the divine affirmation. And I want every Christian to understand what happens at Jesus's baptism. And I simply refer to it as this divine affirmation over Jesus's life. Now, note the chronology of this. I've shared this before, but it's hypercritical. At the outset of Jesus's public ministry, before he's done anything of significance, he's not baptized anyone, he's not saved anyone, he's not fed anyone, he's not clothed anyone or delivered anyone, he's done nothing to build his resume of spiritual lovability. He's done nothing to do anything to garner favor from the God of the universe, and this is what it says in verses 9. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. You are my son with whom I love and with you I am well pleased. See, the reason that we can actually turn our lives in repentance is because we have to understand that we've already been accepted and loved by God. And before we can do anything to make ourselves more lovable, we receive, like Jesus, this divine affirmation of who we are in Christ. It's interesting when you read through the New Testament, specifically the writings of the Apostle Paul, who went through a radical transformation himself, a transformation of the heart. Paul always writes and describes people as saints, never sinners. He calls himself the chief of sinners, but he says, that's not who I was. See, when you and I are grounded in Christ, we're free to deal with our sin because our identity and our worth are not in question. My point is this, we need to work at discovering the critical need of God's revelation and discovering our need for, uh, discovering revelation always starts with our own repentance. At Mission Hills, this is what we refer to as our rhythm of renewal. It is the practice that each of, I, each of us would take to, to have a growing awareness of the presence of God in our life. It doesn't just happen accidentally, but if we wanna grow in intimacy and maturity, I want us to practice a rhythm of renewal so that we might yield and turn to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in increasing ways. And sometimes there's not a lot of rationale behind it. Sometimes there's not a lot of um, motivation behind it, but there is this desire that God wants to reveal God's self to us and to grow closer is to respond. And so one of the things we've set out, in fact, we began last year at starting about talking about what does it mean to be committed not only to Christ, but one another, his church. What does it mean for us to be in covenant with Christ at 
Mission Hills Church. And so it's what we mean when we talk about membership. We talk about it as being in covenant with Christ at Mission Hills Church. And like any good relational covenant, we want to each year renew our vows to God and to each other. I want our covenant, that is how we talk about membership, to be like a spiritual growth plan so that we don't just go through our year hoping bad things don't happen and good things happen or hoping we stumble into God's revelation. Apostle Paul refers to it as going into strict training, like an athlete preparing for competition. We don't want to go through our year simply hoping that bad stuff doesn't happen. So as a church, we want to offer a plan for personal and spiritual growth each and every year. And we want to consider how our salvation might be active and growing, um, how it might be applied, uh, and how we might see God in subtle, in ordinary, but in profound ways. We like to think of one's involvement in church should actually produce something. Change is, is automatic, but, but growth can never be assumed. And we want people, as they commit to being a part of Mission Hills Church and being in a relationship with Christ, to grow in things like faith and community and love and mission. And so um, our hope is, is having some vows where we choose to love God more this year, where we choose to love one another like a family would have to do and love others beyond our walls. We call this simply being in covenant relationship with Christ at Mission Hills Church. And in the next couple of weeks, you're gonna have a chance to, if you made this decision last year, to renew your vow, to consider an area of service and ministry, to consider areas of giving and, and uh, consider areas of how you might love your neighbor as yourself. I'm also gonna be hosting a covenant class on next Monday on January 18th. I wanna host a class via Zoom at seven o'clock for those of you who have never made the commitment to the church, um, but talk about things like salvation and ministry and growing as a priesthood of believers. We think this is part of how we work out our salvation. And the one thing I think we all long for is the revelation of God in our life. And so I want to pray with you at the outset of this new year and say thank you for being part of this journey. It was five years ago to the day that Mission Hills had its first public worship service. January 10th of 2015, we had our first public worship. And so today feels like an anniversary of sorts. It's funny. No one could have expected what we'd be going through on this day or what we'd be coming out of from this year or what we'd be experiencing on, um, in, in our society. But what I wanna do is in solidarity, move forward together in celebration, in anticipation and seek the revelation of God. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually as your children and help us see how the nature of our relationship with you can grow in maturity as we begin to see your loving presence in our life. 
for those of us who are stumbling into a new year, looking for courage and maybe seeking out restoration in relationship, but wanting to heal, I pray for a growing awareness of your presence in our life. I pray that the rhythm of renewal would be something that we can embrace and be able to turn from certain things that keep us aligned from you, turn toward generosity and hospitality uh, and compassion. I pray that you, through the strength of your Holy Spirit, would give us the kind of um, strength to, to, to align our lives with you. I pray this for me and my friends, and I pray for your guidance in this new year. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Hopefully we'll be able to meet again in person next week. And uh, God be with you as you seek a growing awareness of his presence in your life.